Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us. Use and overrule my words and all our thoughts so that your word alone may be spoken and your word alone heard through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Why did Jesus come? We're gathered to celebrate his birth, but why did Jesus come? Why did the infinite creator of the universe stoop to be born as one of us? Why did God become human? Why did he become, in the words of one Christian hymn, a native of the very world he made? The biblical writers and Jesus himself tell us the answer. And they use a variety of vivid images to make clear Jesus' purpose in his life on earth. Because it's Jesus' purpose that we celebrate at Christmas, not merely the birth itself. If Jesus was to be one of us, of course he had to be born. But focusing on the birth and not on the reason for his being born is not real Christianity, it's more sentimentality. One of the ways that Jesus described his purpose in coming to us was this. He said in Luke chapter 19, I have come to seek and save the lost. To have a sense of the importance of Jesus' birth, his coming to us, it's necessary to know that without him, we are lost. If I were to explain to you how to find your way to the parking lot, your response might be any number of things, including concern for me that I was off my rocker, but you wouldn't feel gratitude. Why? Because you're not confused about where the parking lot is. You're not lost. But I well remember the first time I drove up the East Coast from Virginia. I didn't know back then that you had to get off Interstate 95 to get onto the New Jersey Turnpike. And I learned the hard way at one in the morning that I-95 ended in an obscure and threatening part of downtown Philadelphia. My feeling for the police officer who providentially drove up alongside was real gratitude because I knew I was lost. And to be able to worship Jesus as the reason for the season, we must know that we are lost until he shows us the way. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. A Boy Scout was wandering in the woods. He stopped and said, I am trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, reverent, and lost. <laughs> well, I know people who are all of those things. They are hardworking and virtuous and successful people and they are lost. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Throwing a life preserver to the person sitting on a deck chair sipping iced tea by the side of the pool won't evoke gratitude. That person doesn't feel he needs saving. But throw it to the one going down for the third time and the response is very different. We have to know we need saving if we're going to be grateful to Jesus who came to save us. 
You see, the Bible asserts that human beings are trapped in a situation from which we cannot escape on our own. We are overwhelmed by our experiences of pain and loss, separation and fear, guilt and failure. And the Bible uses a remarkable range of images to describe this condition, a host of metaphors to portray the human predicament. For example, the Bible describes us as trapped in a sea of mud, where every struggle to escape only causes us to sink deeper. Or we are caught in a pit with walls too steep and too high to climb. Or we are sick with no medicine available that can heal us. Or we are locked in prison with no hope of escape. Or we are in debt overwhelmed with an obligation we will never be able to pay. Through those images, the Bible boldly proclaims that we will never be able to fill our own emptiness, heal our own maladies, atone for our own sins and our own alienation, escape from our own bondages. We cannot fix ourselves. We need someone to rescue us. The message of Christmas is that God chose to come to us. God came to rescue us. He came to us in human form in the person of Jesus. He came to lift us from the mire, to pull us out of the pit, to heal and restore us, to release us and forgive us. Now with the best of intentions, lots of people say that you get what you need from God. But that's not true. You don't always get what you need from God, but you do get what you admit you need from God. You don't always get what you need, but you do get what you're willing to admit you need. And that's why our pride is the primary barrier to our knowing God, to receiving what he wants to give us. What do you need from the Lord Jesus tonight? He's here to meet you if you will but ask him, what do you need from Jesus tonight? Is it forgiveness because you've strayed so far from him? Is it reassurance because you're faltering? Is it direction because you're confused and uncertain? Is it comfort because you're alone? Is it strength because you're so overwhelmed with responsibilities? Is it to be filled with new life because you're so empty inside? When we confront the fact that we are in need, that we are lost, that we need to be rescued, only then can we turn to Jesus and receive what we truly need. You see, Jesus was not only a teacher, but a savior. He didn't just tell us about our predicament, he came to solve it. He didn't just inform us that we, was, we were lost. He came to rescue us. The name Jesus means God saves. The angel told Mary and Joseph they should name the baby Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. He would do that by his death, by his willing submission to execution on a cross, taking upon himself your sins and mine receiving the punishment we deserve for every wrong thing we've ever done or said or even thought. Jesus entered into our world and all that we experience so that he might save us, 
setting us free so that not even death can hold us. When we put our trust in Jesus, in his rescue operation, he grabs hold of us for eternity. A fourth century Christian named Theodotus described the humble coming of Jesus in this way. Theodotus wrote, the Lord of all comes as a slave amidst poverty. The hunter has no wish to startle his prey. Choosing for his birthplace an unknown village in a remote province, he is born of a poor maiden and accepts all that poverty implies, for he hopes by stealth to ensnare and save us. If he had been born to high rank and amidst luxury, unbelievers would have said that the world had been transformed by wealth. If he had chosen as his birthplace the great city of Rome, they would have thought that the transformation had been brought about by civil power. Suppose he had been the son of an emperor, they would have said how useful it is to be powerful. Imagine him the son of a senator, it would have been, look what can be accomplished by legislation. But in fact, what did he do? He chose surroundings that were poor and simple, so ordinary as to be almost unnoticed, so that people would know that it was the Godhead alone that had changed the world. This was his reason for choosing his mother from among the poor of a very poor country and for becoming poor himself. Someone shared a Christmas card with me that expressed that same truth. The card read, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So he sent us a savior. Jesus the savior offers himself to us freely, but so many hesitate to receive him. You've doubtless noticed that gift cards are now a huge part of holiday giving, but according to industry studies, Americans are holding on to over $21 billion worth of unredeemed gift cards. 21 billion. And all too many people fail to accept the free gift which Jesus offers too, his free gift of forgiveness. It's free because Jesus already paid the price. From the cross, he offers us forgiveness, but we must trust him and receive it. I don't know how closely you follow major political stories out of Washington, and you may have missed the news last month that the president, following established tradition, pardoned not one but two Thanksgiving turkeys named peanut butter and jelly. Of course, this is all a takeoff on the power of the president to pardon those convicted of serious crimes. But in U.S. history, not everyone to whom the president granted a pardon actually wanted one. In 1830, a man named George Wilson was convicted of a federal crime and sentenced to death. President Andrew Jackson issued a presidential pardon, but George Wilson refused to accept it. It was so shocking that anyone would reject a pardon that the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. 
Chief Justice John Marshall wrote the decision and included these insightful words that are both solid jurisprudence and really good theology. The Chief Justice wrote, a pardon is an act of grace which exempts the individual on whom it is bestowed from punishment. A pardon must be delivered and delivery is not complete without acceptance. A pardon may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. It may be supposed that no one condemned to death would reject a pardon, but the rule must be the same. Jesus offers his unconditional pardon, his gift of forgiveness, but I have to accept it. He doesn't force it on me. I have to admit my need for what he alone can do in my life. Some of you who are here tonight may be searching. As a pastor, I have the privilege of talking with many people who are seeking, seeking truth, seeking spiritual experiences, seeking freedom from guilt or pain or fear, seeking fulfillment, seeking God. They may be a little uncomfortable about their search, but they are bright and they have important questions and they're looking for the truth about Jesus. That's a wonderful search and I wanna do all that I can to support them. Sometimes though, people think that their search depends on them. They must uncover the secret. They must locate the truth. They must find the reality of God. And so sometimes people grow weary in their seeking, despairing of ever finding and knowing God. They feel unsure how to proceed and they even begin to wonder if it's worth it, if they'll ever experience God the way they want to so much. There may be some here tonight who feel like you've drifted away from God. Perhaps it hasn't been through any conscious decision, but the end result has been that God may seem more distant, less central to your life than he once was. Well, to those who are searching but unsure, wanting more of God but also a little discouraged, questioning but not wanting pat answers, let me offer a word of encouragement and invitation. Remember that Jesus said about himself that he came to seek and save the lost. In other words, you don't have to figure out how to find God, God finds us. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd who goes out looking for the lost sheep. He seeks the sheep and when he finds it, he tenderly puts it on his shoulder and carries it home rejoicing. As much as you might believe yourself to be searching, I want you to know tonight that even more, Jesus is searching for you, eager to put his arm around you and bring you home. But he wants you to acknowledge your need for his rescue. He wants you to receive him. He wants you to accept his love. Some of you have surrendered your life to Jesus in the past, but you've drifted away. Tonight, Jesus is inviting you to come back to him and to come back to his family, the church. What does Jesus say to somebody who has drifted away? He says, if you come to me, I will never reject you. 
Nobody will ever love you as much as Jesus Christ does. You matter to God. And I believe he brought you here tonight to tell you that. And let me invite you to continue your search in the fellowship of this church. Some of you who are searching have worshiped with Christ the King before. Others may be here tonight for the very first time. I know this congregation to be a loving, accepting community of faith where you can ask the hard questions and explore the issues that really matter. This is not a club for people who think they've got it all together. It's a nurturing, supportive community of imperfect people. But it's a church where God's love is shared with transparency and authenticity and where God's healing is found. You are welcome here and you'll be supported and encouraged in your journey. In all the hustle and bustle and stress of this season, it sometimes feels like we miss the whole point. Consider the experience of well-intentioned Marie. Marie found that as the years went on, it had gotten just too difficult to get out to shop for all her children and grandchildren and friends. So one year, she decided to send each one a card and a check, knowing that they could use it to buy for themselves whatever they liked. It seemed like a great idea until some weeks after Christmas, Marie found under a pile on her desk all the gift checks that she had written, but had forgotten to enclose in the envelopes. And she realized with horror that all her loved ones had received from her for Christmas just a card on which she had written the words, buy your own present. <laughs> The good news of Jesus' birth is that we don't have to buy our own present. We don't have to fix ourselves or heal ourselves or rescue ourselves. We have been given the greatest gift of all, that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to seek us out and save us. Jesus came so that we would see the truth about ourselves and in our need turn to him for what only he can provide, forgiveness and peace and life everlasting. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know every person and every need here. And I ask that you would touch and encourage and draw close to each one of us. Give us a deeper sense of your great love for us, that we might know your saving power, and that we might experience the new life that you offer to us now and for all eternity. Amen.